0: start with your life goals like what are your life goals I think most people um part of their life goal is is to buy a house and provide for a family and you know maybe do these other things right and I think if those if part of your goals are have financial or um you know outcomes tied to them then make sure you're majoring something that like is going to drive that for you
1: I am so happy to be back here to give you all the opportunity to listen to our very next guest. So we took off maybe a couple of weeks, I can't even count the number of days that it's been since we were active in making sure that you got a great episode with our wonderful guests. A little bit uh, of a recap as to why. Um, so I've been on this other platform, frankly, that is an audio-driven platform and meeting some of the most incredible individuals out there. But we had recorded a couple interviews with this amazing guest here today, Aaron Bird. And so you'll get to listen to Aaron. Um, I, we we are actually graced uh, by this gentleman who who is a part of a, almost five billion dollar acquisition by adobe what happened was and he'll talk to you a tad about it as far as what he did for both the company that was bought by um adobe but also the company that the company that adobe bought bought for him i know that's a little confusing but he'll explain hopefully here shortly so we were fortunate Um, Aaron is a humble man. Uh, He's a very, very nice guy, despite his success. Um, I had the fortune to actually meet him years and years ago before all this began. And that's where I was graced uh, by his kindness. Um, And and we just had honestly a, a cool chat. It's, it's really cool to see how this has all come to be after years, um, years and years ago with our initial connection. All right, enjoy Aaron here today. I think you'll really appreciate what he has to say. He is a very methodical thinker, very intelligent, and obviously very successful. So thank you for listening to Educate and have a wonderful day. You're listening to Educate. I'm Brandon Nye, nah, your host, and and today we have the fortune of having Aaron Bird. He he is an incredible entrepreneur in Seattle that. Uh, you may or may not know. Um, he, you know, frankly had more success than a lot of people that I know and, uh, um, you know, I could talk about it forever, but I'm going to let him <laughs> introduce himself and, uh, thanks for, for joining us here on educate Aaron.
0: Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Brandon. I'm excited about it. Um, yeah. So just a quick kind of intro on myself. I, uh, I started my career as a developer, um, writing actually C++ back in the day. I don't know if that probably dates me at this point, but um, and uh, managed dev teams and then I uh, moved to Seattle to take a job at Microsoft 2007 and switched over into the product side of the world um, with that role. I left Microsoft in 2011 um, to start a company called Visible um, and we did uh, marketing attribution. So basically that, that age old question of, um, uh, I know half of my marketing dollars are wasted. The problem is I just don't know which half. Um, um, Visible helped kind of solve that problem and measure the efficacy and track kind of revenue back to marketing source and things like that. So um, we started the company in 2011, Uh, we raised about 20 million in capital uh, and then had a great exit selling to Marketo in 2018. And I joined Marketo uh, through the acquisition and ran uh, global product at Marketo for a little over a year. Um, we ended up selling Marketo to Adobe shortly thereafter. So 2018 was kind of a, a crazy year for me, going from uh, CEO of a startup to um, working at Marketo and then working as an exec at Adobe. Uh, and then after that kind of tour of duty, I, um, I took a year off and um, traveled the world. And, and, uh, and now I'm back at the, uh, the startup game. So I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about it.
1: Yeah, no, we're excited to hear about it. Um, but before we do, if you don't mind, um, can we like dial back a tad, learn more about Aaron, the person like IE, you know, like, I mean, we don't have to start in kindergarten or anything, you know, <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah. like w- where you went to high school, like what made your brain what it is today kind of thing? Because um, what I love to explore with a lot of our guests is, is to understand how people became who they are through the educational experiences that we have, right? And and to really examine, like, were there certain people in your life that made you who you are today, or was it a system that that you know molded you in a way that kind of helped, or was it just you being amazing, you know, from birth, you know? So so you know, um, let's let's start back a tad. And and I didn't know you moved to Seattle. So where where did you move from?
0: Uh, well, I can start back at the beginning. So I. As a kid, we moved around a decent amount. So I think we, on average, we moved every four or five years growing up. Um, I think of kind of Portland, Oregon as the place that I spent the most time. So I was there seventh grade through high school, but uh, I was born in Dallas, Texas, lived in Norman, Oklahoma, Santa Fe, New Mexico, Palo Alto, California, and then Portland, Oregon uh, as a kid. Um, And uh, I went to undergrad at UC Santa Barbara um, and then basically stayed in Southern California through college and through um, 2007 when I ended up moving up to take the job at Microsoft. So um, as an adult, I lived in Southern California and then um, Seattle.
1: Okay, got it, got it. So was see Santa Barbara a great experience? Do you feel like you learned a lot? Uh, um, You know, was the public school, was it public or private school that you went to prior to college?
0: Um, Most, I, I was in, yeah, mostly public schools. I think second and third grade and eighth grade, I was in private schools, but, um, so mostly public schools. Uh, I went to Lincoln High School in Portland. Um, uh, it's a public high school and that's in downtown Portland. And I really, I think that was a pretty formative experience for me. Um, I really enjoyed it a lot. I learned a lot, um, had a really good peer group, which I think is um, really important. I think it's, when I think about education, I think peer group matters a lot. It influences like both the, Obviously, the curriculum and the teachers and all the stuff, but the the peer groups are, are I think, um, almost just as important as a lot of the other components. Um, which uh, I, you know, if you look at like Harvard and Stanford, it's like you know, it was the curriculum that much better. It's really you know, you're going to, to for the peer group. And so, anyway, I, I think it was fortunate enough um, in high school to have a really good group that was that was you know fun, but also really curious and. Um, uh, we were all in kind of like AP math and physics classes and stuff together. And um, so I think that that helped a lot. Um, I think you asked about kind of like, you know, things that, that formed who I was from an education standpoint. I, uh, so when I was eight or something, maybe that age, somewhere in there, like seven, eight, somewhere in there, I went to uh, one of these like science museums with my parents and my aunt and uncle and uh, in the um, uh, in the gift shop on our way out, there was a book um, on relativity about Einstein's theory of relativity, uh, and uh, uh, and I just like I wanted it. My aunt bought it for me, and uh, and we were like, you know, my, my aunt and uncle were in town, so we were doing all these like kind of the touristy things, you know, and um, and going around to the Pacific Science Center kind of stuff and things like that. So. We did that, and then I think we went to like a zoo next or something. And um, and I actually stayed in the car and just read the whole book uh, like for the rest <laughs> of the day. Like um, and uh, and it was a big like and it was you know it was it was for kids right um, like they they made the concepts approachable. Uh, but I just like I obsessed about it, um, and uh, and so I just started like reading everything I could about kind of Einstein and and relativity and. Um, and I think like the whole kind of the physics of relativity is super interesting, and like I was I was kind of just amazed by this idea of all this like time dilation, all these concepts. Um, but even more importantly, uh, I, I started reading about Einstein specifically because I I I realized that from reading this, I'm like this guy came up with these these theories. I mean, basically, just in a room in a house. You know, I mean, it's not he didn't have like a nuclear reactor to like send particles at close to light speed and all this kind of stuff. I mean, he was, you know, and anyway, and I didn't obviously know what theoretical physics was before I picked up that book, but, but this idea that you could, you could start with first principles um, and, and that are, that you know are true and that you could start to build this whole breadth of knowledge and theories without even running experiments it was kind of this like, this, I was really just—I don't know—that uh, idea that your your mind could figure things out without much experimental data was just like kind of blew me away as a kid. And so, um, so from then on, and so from then until I think I was like 15 or 16. If you asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I said I wanted to be a theoretical physicist, uh, and uh, and I was kind of just obsessed with that and. Um, and anyway, so I, I liked physics and math. Uh, when I got into high school, you know, I kind of switched from that to, I wanted to start a software company uh, and be an entrepreneur was kind of like the the next thing um, uh, after realizing that, um, that I wanted to like, I, I still actually like physics a lot. And I think like quantum physics is like um, very interesting. Um, but uh, anyway, I started to go more towards like the entrepreneur side, but that, that book that, that I read about Einstein really kind of shaped like how I thought about things. And, and, and really, I think that was a pivotal point for me.
1: What triggered that? Um, I had a couple other thoughts that I wanted to ask you, but what triggered the, the shift from, you know, theoretical physics to, to entrepreneurial, um, you know, life or whatever? Yeah.
0: Uh, like the, that, the, hands-on application of, of entrepreneurship, I think, like, um, and I don't know, honestly, I've, like, teased that, like, maybe someday I'm going to go back and, 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 like, just go deep in, in physics, uh, just for fun, you know, um, the, because I still do think it's very interesting, but, um, but it's hard to go, and there are, of course, there are examples of you know, theoretical physics manifesting into a physical like product or um, you know some sort of innovation, but um, it's very hard uh, and it's very rare. And so I kind of was like, do I really want to just spend you know kind of a, in, spend all my time like in the ether, kind of you know coming up with things? Like like quantum physics is a great example, right? I mean, it's like so super interesting and like there, I mean, it's. I don't know it's amazing the things that are true that just don't make it that, that seem completely counterintuitive um but what can you do with it you know even like um quantum computing so I, um in college I thought I spent a lot of time like looking at machine learning and quantum computing and stuff and uh, even quantum computing is this going to really take off and happen and it's kind of theoretical and stuff anyway I think the the main takeaway was just that I, I wanted to, to do something that was more tangible that I could like I could see a a physical manifestation of the result. Um, I think another kind of thing of just a personality trait of mine is I've always been very entrepreneurial. Um, And so, you know, there's like a bunch of funny stories when I was a kid, like, um, so I had a paper route, you know, from 10 on, I I either had a paper route or a job from 10 until now. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, and I, in eighth grade, I would, uh, when I was at that, I was at a private school in eighth grade. Um, and there were a lot of kids there that, that were wealthy and, and had money. And so I would order pizza at lunch to, to the school, um, and sell pizza slices, uh, and, and make money. And so I'd come home, uh, and like have money in my pocket and have eaten like free pizza. Um, so I'd order a pizza for like 12 bucks and, and, you know, sell the slices and make $10. And so uh, <laughs> I did that. Like we were in Mexico when I was 12, I think. Um, and I traded jewelry like amongst the merchants. So we were there for like three weeks and it was like long enough for me to kind of get to know folks. And I had been taking Spanish class at school so I could like get around in Spanish. And um, we were in, um, uh, we're, we're in Cozumel and the, the, the big boats would come in. Um, I think on like every Tuesday uh, and all the prices of jewelry would go up because they knew that this this all these tourists were coming in off the um, the boats. And so um, anyway, I would buy jewelry kind of leading up to that. And then I would go back to the merchants and I would sell it back to them when they were out of inventory uh, while the, the, the people were there on the boats. And so anyway, things like that where like, I always was just kind of like looking for um, an opportunity um, kind of my whole life. And in college, I started a company where I was like importing um, digital scales from um, China and selling them in the U.S. and um, kind of like while I was while I was uh, going to school at UCSB, and so I've done a bunch of things kind of like that. And so I always like was attracted to that, and I always knew I, you know, kind of wanted to do something in that in that world. At least as I started to to get through high school.
1: Yeah, no, a uh, couple things. Uh, one is. I don't know if I've sent it to you, but I will send it to you regardless again. Uh, there's a good book called The Hidden Habits of Genius that Professor Wright um, out of Yale um, wrote based off of a class um, that he's been teaching over the years examining genius. And so when you talk about Einstein and, and you know, basically um, the stuff that he was able to generate regardless of environment... Um, I think you know that that speaks a lot to kind of who you are and so like one thing that I I just want to highlight to people who don't know who you are and you know I I don't I don't know you like incredibly deeply but from what I've experienced is that you're deep you know basically what what you know you're talking about like thinking um, you're reasonable um, but you're also responsible and which leads to the pragmatism that you know you speak of as well with you know like entrepreneur activity you kind of connect the dots and figure out things and, and understand how, you know, to, to benefit people. So, so, you know, just, just wanting to tell the world, I mean, I, 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 one quick funny anecdote, I showed up late after years of not seeing you um, to an appointment. And I remember I had something screwed up on, on my phone or whatever it was, and you're completely cool about it. You know, like other people would be like, screw you, get out of my office or, you know, that's enough. But, but Aaron's the type of guy who understands there's a lot behind everything that we do. And uh, um, I feel like, you know, you have some really, really, and that's why I was really excited to have you on the show is, is, you know, to, to, to tell people, how to become this, you know, um, to a certain degree, not that there's a formula, but, but you know, like you, you thought deeply about this new startup. Not a lot of people do that, right? They don't sit back. You, you, you went to Europe with your family to, to think about things. It was not just a vacation, it was probably to explore as well. So do, do you mind talking about maybe a little bit of a process in which you, you used, you know, I mean, we talked about some things on the way what'd you do there to, you know, maybe tell people, you could even start with the Europe trip if you want, because that, that probably had something to do too. So a
0: couple of things, when I think about like the creative process um, around company building, I think one, one thing, uh, and in general, when I approach problems, I try to think about what are my biases, right? Like what, when I go into this, what are my existing biases and how do I try to prevent them from uh, you know, it's some sometimes biases are good, obviously, but um, they oftentimes can also be bad and lead you down the wrong path or push you in a certain direction. So, yeah. You know, so think about our biases. If you if you're thinking about starting a company, you're probably like me and you love building. Um, uh, and builders, the bias that builders have is that they want to build. So, um, I think that that step one for me in this process of starting a company, and and I don't think like you know, when I started Visible, um, I don't, I didn't go through. I, I didn't do this, and I think I it would have been valuable had I had done this. Um, the is is force yourself to to not build yet. Force yourself to not get to the conclusion. Um, and 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 so for me, it was like, look, I'm going to spend about a year without deciding what I'm going to do, um, and I'm going to spend a year doing kind of what, um, like a breadth first search, if you will, uh, of the problem space that I want to determine what I'm gonna go do, right? And so um, I think it's really tempting to, you know, if you see a problem that you really like as a builder, it's like you wanna jump to solving the problem, right? And so I think forcing yourself to, um, to not, jump to that and to not start building and give yourself the right amount of time and space to explore the problem space. Um, at least this was something that was really important for me. Uh, and so I did. So I spent, you know, well, we were, we, we went to Europe, we went to New Zealand and Hawaii a few times. And, um, and so I, was, during all that time, I spent about a day a week, um, exploring kind of different markets and things to um, areas to look at. So I think that was one was like, Giving myself both time and space to explore, and forcing myself to not jump to the conclusion yet, and not to start building. Um, So that was one. I think that the the other thing that that I did a little different this time versus when we started Visible um, was to, you know, to I think of it. There's like there's there's two approaches to to company building or 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 problem like looking for a problem to solve there's the the kind of bottom-up approach that most entrepreneurs do, and this is what we did at Visible, and and I think the Lean Startup methodology that's very popular, um, you know, follows this, and it's it's talk to customers, learn what their pain points are, um, and then, you know, start to formulate how are you gonna solve that, right? And then test all your hypotheses around how you're gonna solve it and this stuff. for those that haven't, if you're thinking about building a company or, or a product and you haven't looked at Lean Startup, I think it's a it's an amazing resource. And it's you know, we followed that in the early days of visible, and I still follow it today. So it's a it's a great way to think about a, a, a bottom-up, very tangible starting with the customer um, approach. But to do that, you have to you have to talk to a customer, which means you've picked a market, right? And so um, I think that the, the the route I'm taking now is is first look what market do you want to focus on? In other words, what types of customers do you want to go talk to, to, to find their pain? Um, and, may, and, and spend time looking at different markets before you go to that bottom-up approach. And I think of the market view as kind of the top-down approach of, of, of building a company. And this is the way that most investors think, right? Like, so investors like venture capitalists, they look at, okay, what markets are going to be have very fast growth and explosive is going to be explosive and they're going to be a lot of opportunity or there's going to be a, a shift in demand because of a technology change or, or um, you know legal changes things like that and so investors are actually really good venture capitalists are really good at saying this is a market that is going to have um, a very you know one or more very big companies come out of it um, and that and and then you know they then of course go, Talk to entrepreneurs in that market to figure out where they want to place their bet, and so I think p- p- being able to kind of do both of those things, and first look at the markets, um, and and then once you find a market that you're you think is interesting and it's going to have a lot of growth, then now go talk to customers and do the bottom up kind of lean startup methodology. So this is kind of like my general framework for what I've been doing, um, and. And so that time that we traveled and then even after, so obviously we stopped traveling once COVID um, hit uh, earlier in um, earlier last year, uh, I still, you know, so then I was like, I went from one day a week to, to five days a week working on this. I still spent a lot of time even then, you know, looking at markets. And so I probably spent about a year and a half total um, looking at markets before I picked one to start um, looking at companies in and, uh and again, that was hard for me as a builder because, um, you know, there's a reason why I, I I wasn't a venture capitalist. Like, you know, looking at markets is not the thing that 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 gets me up in the morning, and you know, <laughs> I wanted to jump to building, right? And so, um, so anyway, I, I I think that for me that was kind of a process change. Um, you know, in Pienza, uh, the, the the studio that that I'm building, we're going to make a few bets. Um, and, uh, and so, um, you know, I'm, I'm still spending some time looking at markets around like, what are the other markets that we wanna go into?
1: Yeah, no, I want to talk about Pienza because uh, once you announced, which was a little while back, um, I was hoping to to reach out and understand more. But before we do, do you mind uh, telling us a little bit about the markets you did evaluate? Because yeah. you know, you 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 hit one that you know is is all about this show, right? Um, you you know, yeah. you were exploring education, and maybe we should talk about that, and then maybe the two others, maybe a little less, but um, yeah. Kind of curious, you know, what your thoughts were with those three markets.
0: Another kind of formidable thing. When I was at UCSB, um, uh, I majored in computer science, and um, my operating systems class at uh, UCSB was done pretty much like all remote, just about. Um, so there were lectures, obviously, like this was, you know, in in. 99 or 2,000, um, and so uh, yeah, obviously UCSB wasn't doing um, a digital-first curriculum or anything, but there were um, you could go and, and and you could see the lectures, but they are also recorded, and you could you know if you missed a lecture, you could go watch it. Uh, but all the homework, the tests, all of that was all done to the computer lab, and so um, the I, I think that experience of of and obviously it's easier when when the output is writing code and that's what you're learning. Like that's a lot easier to digitize. And, um, but he didn't like the, the professor didn't ever grade anything. Um, he never looked at your code. He never looked at your assignments or even your tests. No human read them, or, uh, unless they just kind of curiously wanted to be curious and do it. He, he would give you an assignment. And then because you were building software it had to output X, Y, Z, he had a bunch of tests test cases like in in the software world it's like a quality assurance test right um he had a bunch of test cases to test to see if you had like covered all the the possible corner cases and everything and that's how it got graded um anyway that kind of stuck with me i was like i think you could actually do this this idea of a digital first like experience for um a learner i think is interesting uh and so i think in the education space, there were two things that I spent time on that I had a like thesis on for education. One is um, making education more about the outcomes, um, and then the second one is is what what how could you really transform education with a digital first experience um, approach? So the and I think like with COVID, obviously that digital first experience was. Even more accelerated, but um, and I think there's a, there was a lot of opportunity, and still is a lot of opportunity to, to do that because of um, because of the impact of COVID. But I even think that I think the digital learning experience is not just there's not just an opportunity because it's been forced because of COVID. I think it's actually the better experience, um, and I'll kind of get to like why I think that second. But so I think the the on the on the outcomes front, I'll, I'll talk about that first and this is maybe a controversial perspective. And I know a lot of like academia, would it disagree with maybe some of the things I'm gonna say here, but I, you know, I went to, to undergrad and got a computer science degree. Uh, and I did that because I looked at what, you know, in four years when I graduate, what do I want the outcome to be? And I knew that I could get a really good job. I could build software, it would pay well. I was excited about building, right? Like. Um, I had friends that went into college and said, I'm, I'm, you know, they majored in something that they didn't think about what the outcome was going to be. You know, maybe they majored in like history or English. Um, and, you know, if you have an undergraduate degree in history, and no offense to people that have decided to go down that path, but what, like in today's world, what, what are you going to do with that, right? Um, now, a PhD in history, like you can go teach history. And so maybe that's different. But if you just, you know, getting a bachelor's in something like this, what, like, are you, you know, and I think like, if you start with your life goals, like what are your life goals? I think most people, um, part of their life goal is is to buy a house and provide for a family and, you know, maybe do these other things, right? And I think if those, if part of your goals are, have financial or, um, you know, outcomes tied to them, then make sure you're majoring in something that like is gonna drive that for you, right? And so, uh, so anyway, so I think the, 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 the education system today doesn't think about outcomes at all um, in general. Now, I think there's great things like Lambda School and stuff that are changing this, but like at UCSB, I mean, they did a little bit of career placement and stuff, but if I wanted to go in and major in history, there was like not an option. I mean, how, are, how am I gonna get a job? Like they didn't have an answer for that. Like the, their goal was to give you that bachelor's degree and then it was your job to figure out what to do with it. And I think if we're not going to college to get a job, why are we going to college? And even if, even high school is the same thing. Like I'd like to see more career kind of focus in high school. Cause again, it's like, and I understand like the argument against this is like, we want people that are well-rounded and like, um, you, know, we want, you know, we want you to take political science and English and history and, and social studies in and, and high school. And if we jam it full of, uh, you know, pre-med or, uh, or computer science or whatever kind of career goal, then you start to edge out all this well-roundedness. but I think if we look at the, you know, especially in the U.S., you know, we look at high school graduates and college graduates and like, what, what's the outcome? Like, what, what does their future look like? Is it because they're not well-rounded enough or because maybe they're not going to hit their own personal financial goals? And I think, you know, the latter is probably more the problem today. So, anyway, I'd like to see education be much more outcome focused. Um, I love the like the the ISA kind of stuff that Lambda School is doing and others around putting themselves if you're not successful, we're not successful kind of model. Um, And I'd like to see a lot more of that. I think you know they're doing it with software, but and, and software development. I think you could do this with anything, right? Like with any any career path, like put people on a career path early or let them pick a career path early. Um, and help enable that and, and align their, their life goals with your, your, uh, your goals as an education system. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there um, to just make the world a better place by getting people the, the things they need to, to be successful in life and not just a, you know, a generally well-rounded education.
1: Completely, completely. Um, I mean, and the thing that, that struck me or strikes me all the time, uh, because you have kids, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, two and five, two boys. So, you know, you'd probably think of their future as your parents did you. And, and part of that trip, I assume, to Europe and these different destinations was also to help your boys get a little extra perspective, even if they're young, right? Yeah. This, this was the time that you guys, you and your wife could could go and do it. And so um, I've had, and I mentioned that to you, I've had other friends who went abroad and, and spent some time abroad. Do you, do you feel like they, they were enriched? And, and do you, what do you think about their future when it comes to these same questions?
0: Yeah, definitely. I do think having experiences traveling, and specifically around just so seeing different cultures um, and, and getting a feel for what the, those people and those places are like firsthand, I think is very valuable in kind of expanding your mind and and giving you the right way to think about um, different perspectives. Uh, and so, you know, I, I do think like, if, you know, I mentioned obviously the, education is based on like life um, outcomes. Uh, I think a, another critical piece of that is, is again, I would trade, um, you know, every social studies class I ever took uh, um, for the experience to like, you know, what if I could have gone to a different country every three years, you know, in, you know, K through twelfth right? Something like this, right? Like I think, um, so I think the the, I think that, experiencing other cultures is like a really important thing that is again, not part of really any education system other than maybe some study abroad stuff in college. It's optional, but um, you know, I, like, I can't name this the 50 state capitals. Why did I ever have to memorize that in the first place? Uh, (laughs) You know, like I don't um, I can't spell half the words I type right. I like the word and everything, you know, fixes it for me. I mean, like we learned so much stuff that like, that doesn't matter that we could have spent, like maybe, you know, experiencing what it's like in Italy or in um, South Africa or something, right? So um, anyway, so I think those things are, I would prioritize those things, um, you know, ahead of I think kind of what the system does today.
1: No, you 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 actually hit something that's very true. For you to learn new words and add them to your lexicon, you need to have something like seven to 20 meaningful experiences that help you understand that word, right? And that's probably why you don't know how to spell them right now is because you didn't give a crap when you were first <laughs> introduced to, to that term. And, uh, uh, but then when you're actually doing it in real life, it really hits you and, and it's something that you won't forget. Um, so, so now you decided, uh, uh, you know, with education, I think climate was another area that you're considering. Yeah, and, and I well, real think
0: quick. And I'll say, so the other thing around education that I think is really interesting is like this digital experience piece. Mm. Um, I think the. I think we've we haven't even scratched the surface here. Um, If you think about a a child's learning experience um, or a kid's learning experience, we don't even measure. We measure very little today, right? Um, Like, uh, and even in the class. So there's classroom, and then there's like like a pure digital experience. Um, In the pure digital experience, we can measure everything, right? Like, um, if a student is, you know, reading something and then they open another browser to go search for a word or they go to YouTube to watch a video about the thing they're trying to learn to learn more about it you know you could analyze all of that and figure out like where are people getting stuck and, and what kind of questions are they asking right um, and we don't we don't do any of that right like we put this thing in front of them and then we don't like we, we test them and things like this and that's there's a little bit of, of data collected through testing but like we we should know everything that happens every second for uh, every student, and 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 that all of that learning should go back into like making them learn better and and helping them learn better and finding out like how is the curriculum wrong and um you know like the curriculum should be adapting like constantly and so should the the teacher and everything and we just don't you can't expect a teacher to like. To ingest all of this data personally and 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 then make changes on a daily basis for all students in their class like it's impossible task for human but but you could have software you know uh give all of that to the teacher and back to the like um whoever's creating the curriculum and and iterating on it and even like curriculums like textbooks like i you know the idea of a textbook and it gets printed every year and they make tiny little changes i mean why aren't we changing these things in real time and and textbook do people that create textbooks actually go watch students read the textbook and see where they get stuck and what you know what what they highlighted and stuff i mean maybe they do on a very small scale but with digital you could answer that question for every single student who ever read the textbook right Who ever saw the content like you could see where their eyes were right you can so anyway i think the this whole idea of this feedback loop like once you digitize this stuff you can give a feedback loop to learn and And not just learn like what's what you need to change but also like what do you need to change for that individual student and you could even do this in the classroom right like again you know a teacher sitting in front of 25 students like the teacher can't look at all 25 students eyes to see if they're paying attention every second of every day but a camera could um and it could tell you like you know three minutes into your your talk that like you know bobby wandered off like okay well why? Like, what? What was it? Was it the talk, or is it something going on hand Right. Like, anyway, I think there's just so much, like, yeah. If you digitally transform the experience, you can like, you can make it so much better for like the students and the teachers, and and um, so that was another that that and and the education outcomes based off it, like education focused oh. outcomes,
1: ripe for for opportunity. No, completely agree, completely, sorry to interrupt. Um, Yeah, because uh, uh, I mean, you and I met on a discipline that frankly, I didn't learn in school, um, I learned just because the web happened and then we both were probably figuring things out through the web. And so it definitely wasn't some, you know, 1924 published Macmillan publishing, you know, text that we didn't give a crap about and basically just weighed down our backpack. Um, so, so no, no, important, important points. And thank you for, for sharing that. Um, so now you finally decided on Pienza, right? And I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly.
0: That's right, Pienza, yeah.
1: Yeah, tell us a little bit about that before maybe we'll we'll jump into some of the five cues um, because I think yep. that's exciting.
0: So when I started down this path, you know, two years ago, actually, um, I thought that I was going to start a company, like an operating company. Um, and I, I, as you mentioned, I, I had kind of, I looked at climate, I looked at space, like outer space, um, I looked at education, and then I looked at how like AI is going to Transform uh, how we work. Like those are the four areas. Those were my markets <laughs> that I had. Like thesis of things are going to change and it's going to be opportunity. Um, and uh, and so I, I went and looked at the um, the, the four of those. The um, and I thought that I was going to start a company in one of those four. Um, you know, fast forward to now, uh, what I've decided is that I'm going to I'm going to help start a few companies. Um, and, and Pienza is that vehicle to, to enable that. So, in the startup world, uh, people refer to these as studios, um, where it's uh, you, you raise capital and you use that capital to both start and fund, um, you know, more than one company uh, over time. Uh, most studios are kind of focused on turning out as many companies as they can, um, and for me, it's really about focusing more. Um, I'm focusing more on like high conviction and and higher quality than kind of the, the high number so uh, so what that means is that over the next like five years um, I'll start you know probably three maybe four companies something like that out of Pienza um, and 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 they'll all be in kind of those you know I think I've, I've, I've narrowed in on kind of how AI is changing the workplace um, I still think there's you know I'm still excited about education and If I find the right entrepreneur to work with, I think I could maybe end up pulling the trigger on something there. Um, I probably won't do something in space. Uh, And then I think climate is still very interesting, but um, um, there's a few kind of sub areas in climate that that I think I'm still spending some time on.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And and I'm excited because uh, you didn't say no to education. You just opened it up to at least other folks who might be a little bit more versed in it, for one, Uh, maybe two. They, you know, I think your wisdom, your experience in getting, you know, visible all the way up to where it got will help those, you know, uh, folks probably in so many different ways. So no, that's very, very cool. How many studios are there actually in the country before, like I said, jumping into these other questions?
0: I know of maybe five to 10. Um, There's, I'm sure there's a lot more than that, but I know of maybe five to 10. Yeah. And I think one thing I'll, I'll mention on the education front. So most of the stuff I looked at was, was building a school, like actually educating, right. Um, there's obviously a lot of other things you can do around education, like even building software for, um, for schools and stuff like that. But the, the, the main thing, you know, and I talked to you about this and um, was the, the idea of like how to educate folks. And, and I think the, the thing that I realized is like, I don't the, the nuts and bolts kind of the, the operations of running a school is not something that I'm passionate about. Right. And so, right. uh, I, as I started to go down this path, I was like, okay, so step one is, well, I need a curriculum and, you know, I need to, uh, I'm probably going to be like a teacher for like one of the first classes and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, I need to hire teachers and I need to evaluate teachers and, um, that whole, that operational, like actually running a school, um, I think it's just not my passion area right and I just realized that this isn't as much as I'm passionate about the the gaps and how to transform education I don't think that that you know five, 10 years in that I'd have the right amount of passion of actually just running a school and, and and being an educator so that was kind of the you know the the reason why I decided to not end up starting a company there but I do think there's still a lot of opportunity.
1: And, and you speak of gaps. And so to just round off the the, the education topic, what, what would you say are the one or two, maybe three, you know, uh, largest pain points or things that we could solve today in education, at least from your perspective and your experience?
0: Putting the student first um, and being very focused on the student is the customer. You know, I don't I don't know that every school thinks of it that way. And, uh, and then, you know, I think a, a follow-on to that is obviously, well, if they're the customer, it's like, what do they want? What, what is the, what, what are you trying to do for them? And I think you're, you're trying to do more than, than simply educate them. Like you're trying to set them up for a successful life. Um, that's, you know, I think that, I think our, our schools have that responsibility, um, um, given the amount of time kids spend with in school like I think that they're they are that is part of their job not just to educate but to to set them up for success in in life and whatever that means right so um I think just rethinking the the whole educational ecosystem around that
1: awesome awesome thank you all right that was awesome Uh, I really appreciate your thoughts on that so we're going to round off the show or finish up uh with just five hopefully quick questions so First question um, I like to always ask my guests is um, who's their hero? <laughs> yeah. So can you tell us who that might be? Yeah. Well, I think
0: I hinted at it earlier, but I think Einstein is, is my hero. Um, his, his ability to kind of think and, and be creative uh, was,
1: was pretty amazing awesome awesome and uh, the next one is um, who's a great role model in society uh, you know somebody who you'd want your kids to you know be impacted by um, you know obviously beyond you and your your wife I assume and, and you know maybe maybe their grandparents but you know uh, who else would you say or maybe it is their grandparents I don't know
0: yeah I think um, I think Bill Gates is doing amazing things Hit, like you know, he spent the first half of his life basically building Microsoft, uh, which I think did great things. Um, and but even more importantly, he's now spending the you know the second half of his life giving away that fortune and really changing the the landscape for for you know millions, if not billions, of people across the world. So I think that like I love his philosophy of just impact um, and like really trying to think about how do you. You've got one life to live. You're here for, you know, however many eighty to one hundred years, whatever it's going to be. Uh, what you know, what what can you leave behind, um, and how can you make the, the world better than uh, than it was when you came in? And I think that I think we should all strive for that. Um, and I think Gates is like a, you know, probably the one of the best examples of somebody who is who's both like, you know, made that a goal, but also executed, you know, pretty amazingly against it.
1: Yeah. And the company that supported you on that rise, um, you know, Madrona Ventures, um, I don't know why, but they come to mind when I think of Bill Gates to a significant degree, their ethos is similar from what I know. Would you, would you say that's the case?
0: Yeah. I think, I think Madrona is great. They're a great, you know, if you, if you have the opportunity to take their money um, and partner with them and growing a company, I think it's a great, um, they're a great partner in that. Um, and they're here in the, the Northwest as well. And I think they, they specialize on kind of Pacific Northwest companies. And, um, I worked with Len Jordan, uh, from a and he was great. So I, I do like, I think they do, they've done a lot for the, the Seattle and Pacific Northwest ecosystem. Um, and, uh, and they invest a lot here, both through kind of investing in companies and nonprofits and stuff. So I do think they do great work.
1: Yeah. Awesome. And, uh, um, so one question that, uh, uh um, is hopefully helpful for our audience because I think everybody struggles and has difficulties in life. Um, some of us have a way to kind of get through those, and and you seem pretty, you know, uh, level headed, and you know, like you, you know how to get through things. But you know, we all struggle. So, what what do you do in those tough times?
0: I think that being an entrepreneur and starting companies is a it is a roller coaster ride. Uh, you know, it's it's an emotional roller coaster, as you know you've done it before a few times i think that once you've been down that you know once you can look back and you remember all of the moments where it felt like that it was impossible like it was you know you hit a you hit a roadblock or you hit a wall or you had to pivot in a different direction or you ran out of money or uh, you know, you were banking on this one hire, and they—you didn't get them, or you were banking on getting this funding, and you couldn't get it, or, um, or you had to, you know, tell everyone like, "Hey, we're, 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 we're going to all have to take a little bit less for a little while here to like make ends meet between this and getting this next deal, or this next customer, or this next funding, or whatever." So, there's all these, you know, um, because it's such a roller coaster ride, there are many things that that feel like a devastating blow at the time. Um, and and after, you know, as long as you end up sticking with it, after every one of those, there is then another high, right? And another um, uh, uh, local maxima, if you will. And so I think, you know, um, it's kind of like when you're you're a kid and you're you're just learning to like keep trying things. And, and once you you do something that's really hard, but you then you know succeed, that helps you build confidence that when you when you face adversity, you're gonna be able to get through it again. I think that same type of kind of learning or or um, you know memory muscle memory for a person is also the emotional state matters too for that same thing. So as an entrepreneur, um, it's you're you've put your blood, sweat, and tears and heart and soul into this company, and you know the idea of it failing is just like it's it's completely emotionally devastating to think about that. And so when you hit something where you think that might happen it's it's super hard to deal with and it's very sad but again if you persevere there's invariably there's going to be a high behind that and you're going to have another um you know customer sign up or you're going to find a way to make it work and so having gone through that cycle i think gives you confidence that when you you know sometimes i'll go to bed at night and I'll just be like god this is just like what am i doing you know this is is this the right direction right and like worried because something fell apart that day or that week or whatever. And you're like, you start to doubt yourself. And at that moment, I always just think like, just, you know, tomorrow's a new day. Um, and just like you've faced this before, like you're going to find a way through it and then you're going to find a way back. And so I think, um, you know, the the emotional state of, of an entrepreneur is, is like, um, the ability to manage that is is as critical as any other skill, I think, um, because it is just such a roller coaster ride early. And so I think just kind of seeing that, um, yeah, being able to see the light at the end of the tunnel uh, is really helpful. And I also think having a good peer group. Um, you know, being a founder at a company is is a is the world's lon- loneliest job. And so, if you can find other entrepreneurs, you know, that you can network with, and when you have that that hard time, like just give them a call or a text, and you know, and 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 they're going to be able to sympathize and and help you see through it. So I think the network helps you know and i think from a personality perspective i'm i'm a little bit of just like a fighter too like the more i get backed into a corner and the harder things are the more it like that fire inside of me just really starts to blaze and so i think finding a way whatever your own personal way is to like feed off that feed off failure feed off like you know that like when it's hard that that's when you know that's when the winners are really made right and so finding a way to, to, to turn that around and fuel yourself, I think, um, can be really helpful too.
1: So last two, hopefully are easy, quicker, uh, for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, since you named your, your new startup Pienza, I imagine maybe the answer is Italian, <laughs> but, but what's your, what's your favorite food or do you have a cuisine, you know, like, uh, yeah, a, yeah what, what's your favorite? I mean,
0: like, yeah, um, pasta in Italy, uh, and I don't know why it tastes different there. It's actually something that my wife and I talk about all the time. I'm like, if you just, if you, if you, if you like, literally took the water and the flour and the <laughs> eggs and the and the person making it, and like, you put them on a seven, you know, eighty-seven, and and put them in Seattle. Like, I just don't think that, like something, uh, something happens uh, when you cross the Atlantic. I don't know what's going on, but so the the physicist in me doesn't believe it, but uh the uh anyway yeah,
1: uh, That's pasta hilarious. in
0: Italy is just amazing.
1: That's hilarious. You're the first person who's put it in context where it's like any <laughs> particular location. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Last one is just, uh, what, what makes Aaron bird unique? Like, uh, or is there a secret or is there a little tidbit that you could share with us that tells us, you know, you're, you know, you know, you could tell the world for the first time that you do something. I don't know. It's up to you.
0: Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I, um i got really into brazilian jiu jitsu uh and um i competed actually for a while uh there in fact i i, I competed in an open division so like like wrestling and and other kind of you know martial arts sports and stuff the brazilian jiu jitsu is, is normally by weight um and so you know you 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 end up um, competing against people your same size i did like an open um competition against any weight and so there's I actually have some videos of me uh, doing jujitsu against guys that are like 350 pounds. Uh, and uh, so anyway, I did jujitsu, I competed uh, and um, the visible journey, like I, I, I ended up doing a lot less over time as I was running visible, unfortunately. Um, it's something I'd actually like to get back and do once we can all like, you know, get in a small room and roll around and, and do that uh, post pandemic. But I like jujitsu a lot. Uh, in my thirties, I actually came pretty close to, I was starting to train to do a mixed martial arts fight. Um, I wanted to I wanted to like do an uh, amateur fight just for fun. Uh, I never actually got around to doing it now that I'm 42, I think I'm past my MMA prime. But, <laughs> uh, uh, but anyway, I, I think I'll get back into jujitsu uh, once the pandemic's over and something I
1: really enjoy. Awesome. Uh, I'm gonna connect you with a friend who's doing something very similar. Anyway. Uh, cool so so we'll wrap up here uh obviously you need to get going uh, real quickly for the studio audience or or for why do i say studio audience but you know the folks who are listening yeah. uh you know for actually you know you might be still looking for some entrepreneurs to fill out that studio right so how do they get a hold of you
0: yeah definitely um just email me it's it's aaron at Pienza.com. um would love to hear from folks
1: Thanks so much today, Aaron, for all this. This was absolutely, you know, the best. I, I really enjoyed, you know, having this longer conversation with you about some important topics and, and also kind of reintroducing Pienza to the world. Definitely. It was super fun. Hey, it's Brandon, your host of Educate. We sincerely appreciate you spending some time listening to the show. Hopefully you've gained a little bit from the time with our guests. And if you have a moment, please feel free to leave a review, whether it be constructive criticism or another five-star review. We simply would be happy to hear from you. Oh, and if you don't mind subscribing, that's an additional bonus. We look forward to having you back here on Educate.